Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw, and today is December 28th. Yes, Christmas is over. Uh, Oh, what a week. The sorrows of this world are beyond words this week. I was just thinking of all those thousands of children. I'm playing with my little Victorian storybooks and seeing little children on Christmas Day and then watching these. Horrendous pictures of the children. No tsunami warnings in the Sea of India. Um, Oh, well, I remember as a child, we used to go down to the shore in the minor side. They tell us that that is what has happened um, with this tsunami. Many, many children went down, you know, to catch the fish and look in their tide pools. Uh... The tide was out so far, uh, the sea drops, drops, drops very low before the great waves come. Even here on the Pacific Ocean, I remember being warned as a child that when there is a minus, minus tide, look out, look out, there may be a great wave coming. What is it? Before I left the house today, they said the total was now 53,000 in Sri Lanka. There are landmines. Uh, they were buried. There was a map to where they were, but now, of course, thousands of landmines are scattered everywhere throughout Sri Lanka. Um, thousands of bodies tossed and torn. Uh, yeah, and I heard a pundit on the radio sometime this morning between four and five. I actually heard this guy say that... Uh, Tourism would recover quickly, you know, just just um, get on with it, as they all say. Yes, get on with your life. Uh, forgive us for for these terrible ways in which we respond sometimes. Uh, I, I look around and I, I always assume, I always think in my naivete that uh, these horrendous natural disasters will uh, wipe out some of the willful destruction. Sometimes it does, of course, uh, in a in a peaceful nation. But if you look around, we've still got the messianic militarism out there. We've got uh, terrorist hits. Yes, it's all business as usual. Nothing seems to distract from willful violence. Yes, um, I wonder if those guys imagine that the God they claim as their own would rejoice to see uh, 
how much help they are, yes, how much they, uh, how much they are adding to the sufferings of this world. Um, anyway, as I said, it's beyond, um, words. It's not something that I can deal with. Uh, let's see. Susan Sontag died today and I was looking around for something I need more time to think about. Um, Susan, let's see. She was my age, 71. Uh, I may be, uh, foolish or it may, it may be, uh, thoughtless of me to say something like, uh, the present scene may have been the last straw. It seems to me that if I were terminally ill, perhaps the sight of, uh, this, this tragedy, this tsunami, uh, would have done it. Yes, it might have been the last thing. Yes, who is it? Uh, in Shakespeare's play, old Queen Margaret says, yes, please, let me die to look on death no more. Let's, I want to be foolish today. I want to talk about um, children's books again. I see that tomorrow, Jack Foley is going to do Dylan Thomas's A Child's Christmas in Wales. My most favorite. I used to give it to children just the tapes, you know. Uh, of Dylan Thomas reading his own story, A Child's Christmas in Wales. When there were wolves in Wales, that's the one. That's tomorrow at this time, and Jack's going to put in some uh, other poems uh, written by Dylan Thomas and read by him. I look forward to that. I think what I will do, I brought in today a wonderful editorial by... Uh, my friend Becky O'Malley, but I'm just going to tell you to go read it. It's in the current edition of the Berkeley Daily Planet, and it's all about her Christmas at the Berkeley flea market. Right, that's a great idea. I went to the flea market just once, but I love the idea of having a swap at Christmas. You know, everybody just take some of your stuff and trade it around. I went to a party where we did that, but... uh Here's Becky writes, uh, this hit me hard. She writes, uh, she talks about the people who, who, uh, are family oriented and, uh, rush around at Christmas and go to parties. And she says, there are those, of course, who pride themselves on using the solstice period as an opportunity to demonstrate that they can even be self-absorbed in the midst of the frenetic efforts to connect that motivate others at this time of year. Uh, well, all those about them are wrapping presents and singing carols. Such people are taking long, solitary walks on the beach. Ah, there you go. Actually, the lucky ones are the ones who take long, solitary walks on the beach. Seems to me that Christmas intrudes. Uh, no matter what we do, but as I like to say, yes, I feel no worse at Christmas than any other time of year. Uh, <laughs> yes. Try the Berkeley Flea. Try the Berkeley Flea Market sometime if you want to have community instead of retail therapy. Today, I'm opening a book I have in front of me. It's Hans Christian Andersen. Oh, such a problem, all these Victorian writers. Um, I've been studying the lives of the illustrators, the artists and the painters, people who illustrated the children's books. Children's picture books were really invented in the 19th century, yeah, you know. This, the notion that children could be entertained 
and that they could be given a fantasy life uh, in their books. Before that, children mostly were given tracts to read, you know, religious tracts to make them good. But the Victorians invented these wonderful dreams, fairy tales, fantasies. They dredged up all the old tales and reinterpreted them. But many of the writers and illustrators seem to live dreadfully unhappy lives. Uh, nowadays, with Harry Potter, we have something terribly wholesome, a woman of sound mind. Don't get me started on Harry Potter. I just want to read you a little bit of one of my favorite tales, because it was a fable that imprinted my uh, my soul, I guess, when I was a little child. And uh, I think that nowadays, trying to tenderize children... Uh, especially with video games and uh, uh, films and animated movies, Disney. It's a little more difficult. Um, most people, of course, think that some of the old tales are sentimental. Certainly the Snow Queen is, but uh, it terrified me as a child, the notion that people could have these glass slivers in their hearts, uh, that their hearts would turn to ice. But I see it around me everywhere now. The original tale, the old one, the Snow Queen, is called An Adventure in Seven Tales. I'm looking at the original, not some of the uh, derivative versions of the Snow Queen. Let me read you the first tale, which is about the mirror and the fragments. See there? Now we're going to begin. When we come to the end of the tale, we'll know more than we do now. Because of an evil troll, he was one of the worst of all. He was the devil. One day, he was in a really good humor because he had made a mirror that had the quality of making everything good and fair that was reflected in it dwindle to almost nothing. But whatever was worthless and ugly stood out and grew even worse. The loveliest landscapes looked like boiled spinach in the mirror. And the best people became nasty or stood on their heads without stomachs. The faces became so distorted that they were unrecognizable. And if you had a freckle, you could be certain that it spread over nose and mouth. Ha, 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 said the devil. That's highly entertaining. And now if a person had a good or pious thought, a grin would appear in the mirror, and the troll devil had to laugh at his curious invention. Someone who went to the troll school, for the troll ran a school, spread word that a miracle had occurred. Now, for the first time, the trolls believed, you could see how the world and mortals really looked. They ran about with the mirror, and at last there wasn't a land or a person who hadn't been distorted in it. Now they also wanted to fly up to heaven itself, to make fun of the angels and make fun of our Lord. Indeed, the higher they flew with the mirror, the harder it grinned. They could hardly hold on to it. Higher and higher they flew, nearer to God and the angels. Then the mirror quivered so dreadfully 
in its grin that it shot out of their hands, plunged down to earth, where it broke into a hundred million billion and even more fragments. And now it did much greater harm than before, for some of these fragments were scarcely bigger than a grain of sand, and these flew about through the wide world, and wherever they got into someone's eyes, they remained there, and then these people saw everything wrong, or had eyes only for what was bad with a thing, for each tiny particle of the mirror had retained the same power as the whole mirror. Then some people even got a little fragment of the mirror in their hearts, and this was quite horrible. The heart became just like a lump of ice. Some of the fragments of the mirror were so big that they were used as window panes, but it wasn't advisable to look at one's friends through those panes. Other fragments came into spectacles, and when people put these spectacles on, it was hard to see properly or to act fairly. The evil one laughed until he split his sides. <laughs> and that tickled him pink. But outside, tiny fragments of glass were still flying about in the air. And now we shall hear about these. Yes, then next we have the second tale of the little boy and the little girl. Here I have in my old book the marginalia. <laughs> Accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative, and don't mess with Mr. In-Between. Latch on to the affirmative, and so on. I remember once reading in Time magazine that perception is reality. If we see things through a glass darkly, well, then that's who we are. Uh, who was it once said, you're just about as happy as you make up your mind to be? Um, yes, and the folks with the rose-colored glasses, they can be equally foolish and irritating. Chirpy little crickets they are, yes. How to see things as they are, without illusions. To see them as both beautiful and horrible. Okay, let's look at the second tale, the little boy and the little girl. In a big city with so many houses and people that there isn't enough room for everyone to have a little garden and where most of them have to content themselves with flowers in pots. There were two poor children. However, they did have a garden somewhat bigger than a flower pot. They weren't brother and sister, but they were just as fond of each other as if they had been. Their parents lived next to each other, they lived in two garrets, where the roof of one house adjoined the other. The gutter ran along the eaves, and from each house a tiny window faced the other. One had only to step over the gutter and go from one window to the other. This story goes on and on and tells you all about the two, the two youngsters. The little boy's name is Kay, and the little girl's name 
is Gerda. And they see what they think are white bees. Their old grandmother tells them all about white bees. And the little boy asks her, do they have a queen bee too? Yes, so they have, said the grandmother. She flies there where the swarm is thickest. She's the biggest of them all. She never remains still on the earth. She flies up again into the black cloud. Many a winter night she flies through city streets. She looks in at the windows. And then the windows freeze over so curiously as if with flowers. Oh, yes, I've seen that, said both the children. Can the Snow Queen come in here with us, asked the little girl. Just let her come, said the boy. I'll put her on the hot stove and then she'll melt. The grandmother soothed his hair and told him other tales. This is a long, long story unlike the little books we buy in today's bookstores. Hans Andersen wrote what I would call almost novellas. The story goes on and on. And um, the children become more and more intrigued with uh, the Snow Queen. And then, unfortunately, Kay uh, is struck. He says, something struck me in the heart, and now I've got something in my eye. And, of course, uh, uh, it was one of those fragments of glass that had sprung from the mirror, the troll mirror. Ah, we remember that loathsome glass that caused everything big and good to grow small and hideous. Whereas the evil and the wicked duly stood out and every flaw in a thing was noticeable at once. Poor Kay, he had got a particle right in his heart. Soon it would be just like a lump of ice. It didn't hurt him any more now. But it was there. There it stayed. The story goes on to describe the death of the heart. The things that happen when the roses are worm-eaten. Yes, when we see everything crooked and nasty and uh, uh, on its dark side. She takes, uh, the little girl takes the picture books to Kay, but he doesn't like them anymore. His games are now quite different. <laughs> anyway, he goes out to play in his sleigh and he attaches it. The habit of the boys is to attach their sleighs to bigger, uh, their little sleighs to bigger sleighs, and off they go. And, of course, he is caught by, would you believe, um, the uh, Snow Queen. And she takes him away, and then Gerda follows him, and there are many, many adventures. On it goes. Gerda is afraid that, afraid that Kay is dead and gone, but the sunshine and the swallows... Tell her to keep looking for him. Uh, she kisses the old grandmother, puts on her bright red shoes, and off she goes. Uh, and Gerda has all these adventures. She is uh, loved and cared for by some elders, but then other times uh, she gets into some deep trouble. Let's see. <laughs> Let me skip over to the end of is a wonderful fourth tale of a prince and princess. That's where they learn about uh, wealth, what is valuable, and uh, what is worth having, what is worth keeping. 
Then there's a little robber girl. She was my favorite when I was young. Uh, <laughs> she's a selfish little witch, yes. There's a crone and a robber girl. My favorite women, uh, they are uh, uh, liberated and bratty. But finally, they let Gerda go on her journey. Uh, the last, the second to the last tale is about the lap wife and the fin wife. And once again, these are parables. These are tales. These are the sort of stories that we read to children to show them what life choices uh, they might make and which ones are wiser. I'll skip to the very last one, the seventh tale. It's what happened in the Snow Queen's castle and what happened afterwards. Uh, the Snow Queen always terrified me. She's the essence of, uh, what is that, death in life, ice. She's infinitely beautiful, though. Uh, all those horrid snowflakes. Here is her castle. The castle walls were of driven snow, and the windows and doors uh, shook from the biting winds. There were more than a hundred halls, according to the way the snow drifted. The biggest hall stretched for many miles, all lit up by the tense northern lights. They were so big, so bare, so icy cold, so sparkling. Never was there any merriment here, not even so much as a little ball for the bears to play with. The storm could blow and the polar bears could walk on their hind legs and put on fancy airs, but there was never a game here for them, uh, never the least little bit of gossiping over coffee by the white lady foxes. It was empty and big and cold in the halls of the Snow Queen. The northern lights flared up so punctually you could figure out by counting when they were at their highest and when they were at their lowest. In the middle of that bare, unending snow, there was a frozen sea. It had cracked into a thousand fragments, but each fragment was so exactly like the next. It was quite a work of art. In the middle of it sat the Snow Queen when she was at home. And then she said that she was sitting on the mirror of reason and that the mirror of reason was the best, the only one in this world. And little Kay was there with her, quite blue with cold, yes, almost black. But he didn't notice it. After all, the Snow Queen had kissed the shivers out of him and his heart was practically a lump of ice. He went about dragging sharp, flat fragments, and he arranged the ice in every possible way, for he wanted to get something out of it, just as the rest of us arrange bits of wood and, and uh, uh, put them in patterns. In Chinese puzzles, Kay also made patterns. It was the ice puzzle of reason. To his eyes, the pattern was quite excellent, and of the utmost importance. This was due to the grain of glass that was sitting in his eye. He arranged whole figures that made up a written word, but he could never figure out how to arrange the very word he wanted. The word the child was looking for was the word eternity. The Snow Queen had told him, if you can arrange that pattern for me, 
Then you shall be your own master, and I shall make you a present of the whole world and a pair of new skates. But he wasn't able to do it. Ah,、oh, said the Snow Queen, I'm rushing off to the warm countries. I want to have a look down in the black cauldrons. Those were her volcanoes, Etna and Vesuvius. I'm going to whiten them a bit. That's customary. It does good above lemons and wine grapes. And then the Snow Queen flew off, and Kay sat quite alone in the big bare hall of ice. He looked at the pieces of ice, and he thought and thought until he creaked. He was quite stiff and still. You'd have thought he was frozen to death. It was then that little Gerda came into the castle through the huge doors of the biting winds. But she said an evening prayer, and the winds abated as if they were going to sleep. And she stepped into the big, bare, cold hall. She saw Kay and recognized him and flung her arms around his neck. She held him so tight. He sat quite still, stiff and cold. And the little girl cried hot tears. They fell on his chest. They soaked into his heart. They thawed out the lump of ice and ate away the little fragment of mirror that was in there. He looked at her, and she sang a hymn: "Roses growing in the dale, where the holy child we hail." Then Kay burst into tears. He cried until the grain of the mirror rolled out of his eye. He knew her then. He knew her, and he called out, "Gerda, where have you been all this time? And where have I been? How cold it is here! How empty and big!" Then they were very tired, and they lay down, and they arranged themselves into the very letters the Snow Queen had said he was to find. For then, he would be his own master, and the Queen would give him the whole world and a pair of new skates. Wish I had time to read you the rest of all of this story, but basically, of course, it's about how reason is not what we're looking for, folks. We're looking for eternity. That is where meaning can be found.、Uh, the end of the story actually quotes the Bible: "Except ye become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven." And of course,、uh, Hans Andersen goes on to try to explain how it is that a child becomes an adult, a grown-up, and truly wise.、Uh, they do it by keeping their inner child, yes, and carrying it with them always,、uh, and keeping their eyes open. Okay. Once again, folks, I have been reading to you. From Hans Christian Andersen's fairy tales, and I do recommend that you go and find the original tales. The children's books have been watered down to almost nothing. The ones I see in the stores, some of them have lovely illustrators, although I prefer, prefer the old Victorian illustrations. But、uh, basically, they've been turned into sitcoms. You know, my favorite, most favorite. Is the Little Mermaid, which has what I would call uh, uh, mega masochism.、Uh, at the same time, it is a story about redemption and about、uh, the transcendence 
of someone who thinks she wants to live for love, and when she's not able to find it, she has to settle for a a spiritual a spiritual journey, a spiritual trek. Uh, actually, I was looking the other day in the stores, and I find that uh, more and more the stories that have long since run out of copyright, you know, are harder and harder to find. Uh, look and see if you can get the oldest ones. Uh, I'll be back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20. Until then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. This has been Jennifer Stone. Till next time. In darkness From the ones who Walk in light Light them up, boy In the name of love, the fourth annual musical tribute honoring Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. at Oakland's Calvin Simmons Theater, Sunday, January 16th, 7.30 p.m. Oakland's only musical tribute to MLK promises to be a soulful celebration and honor one of the greatest humanitarians of our time. Featuring LaToya London from American Idol, the Gospel Hummingbirds, Oakland Youth Chorus, and the Oakland Jazz Choir. In the name of love, benefits the Oakland Jazz Choir. Visit www.oaklandjazzchoir.com for details. See you January 16th. And you're to 94.1 FM KPFA in Berkeley, 88.1 FM KFCF in Fresno, and Radio X in Seattle.